2: A recent study found that 83% of Americans consider worry about the nation's future a significant source of stress. And while it is a stressful time, today's guest Karen Brailsford believes that it is a period of tremendous possibility and transformation. According to Karen, when we consciously choose to align with the divine within, we tap into wellsprings of faith, hope, and connection. Karen is the mother of actress Amandala Stenberg, and she was her manager for years. She has worked on the staff at News This week, L. People in Touch, and E! Entertainment. Karen is a licensed spiritual practitioner at the Agape International Spiritual Center in Los Angeles and is the author of the book, Sacred Landscapes of the Soul, Aligning with the Divine Wherever You Are. Welcome, Karen. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. So, Karen, you started your career as a journalist. How did you end up on the journey of being a spiritual therapist?
3: Although I was a journalist and that was something that I aspired to even as a young kid, I remember, you know, in sixth grade, seventh grade wanting to write. I actually think the two careers are aligned as a journalist. My job was to um, get the story and the way I would get the story would be by connecting with individuals. I remember having the sense of sitting down with um, whether they were celebrities or candidates for human interest stories. What I was doing in each exchange was connecting, I basically having a namaste moment with everyone. And so it seemed very organic and natural to segue from that into being a spiritual therapist or guide. I had always been interested in a spiritual life. I'd always wanted to cultivate my spiritual spirituality. And um, I remember as a kid, every year I would put on my list of aspirations for the next year. I would right to be closer to god so that was something that was innate within me it was also cultivated by my mother who was deeply spiritual and and so i like to say that the journey didn't all of a sudden i didn't all of a sudden appear um wanting to become a spiritual therapist or guide but that it was something that was nurtured within me from inception probably before inception so you just and so said here that we are.
2: One of your goals was to develop a closer relationship with God.
3: So how do you define God? I think um, I define God as this innate, indwelling power of presence. It's an awareness. I don't define it as a being in the sky. I believe that it's everywhere. I believe that it's so profound and so omniscient and omniactive and available to everyone that one can find it. In the stars, one can find it in the trees. One can find it within oneself. That it's really just an awareness that there is something greater than what we can see or discern with the senses, and that it um, longs to cultivate a relationship with us. And it shows up in everything and everyone.
2: And that's what you write about in your new book, aligning with the divine wherever you are. And and you also focus on a, a sacred landscape of the soul. So.
3: What does that actually mean to you? Like, What what is a
2: landscape of the soul? So
3: what I um, decided to do, or rather, I would say, spirit, and that's my go-to word in Mm -hmm. terms of how I define God. I call it spirit. What spirit brought forth through me was this idea that um, in different stages of our lives, at different points in time, in different points of the day, that we might um, feel a certain emotional um, resonance. And it might look as confusion. It might look as a sense of being afraid of what to do next. It might look as a sense of wanting to create and that you're ready to birth something that you haven't even thought of before. Or it might look like you feel this overall sense of connectedness and oneness with what I call the presence or spirit or God. Um, You might feel that, for instance, while you're taking a jog. So what I decided to do was to really um, hone in on these different nine uh, landscapes and I um, came up with nine and the landscapes range from everything from the forest where you're confused and you're not quite sure um, you're feeling chaotic you're feeling the opposite of peace Um, and then one might move on to the landscape of the plateau where you really don't know what to do next And from there, there's the landscape of immobility or the tundra, where you're literally frozen with fear. And so I move through these different landscapes. Those are just the first three. And from that particular terrain, which I define as the terrain of confinement, one might segue into the terrain of gestation, where there's the valley, which is the landscape of solace when you're seeking peace, and the landscape of uh the riverbank the sense of anticipation and finally one might land in the landscape of the ocean where you're feeling this sense of oneness and you're ready to remember who and whose you are you have emerged into this sense of wow i am one with this presence this inescapable divine there is the mountaintop the landscape of mission when you have an idea that ah I know exactly what my purpose is. And even if I don't know exactly what it is, I do know that I have a a purpose. And finally, there's the landscape of surrender, which I call vastness. And that's where you do have this sense of that, oh, my goodness, (laughs) life is so full. Life is so magnificent that there are no limits, that you are dancing the dancer radiance, which happens to be one of the pieces in that section, and that indeed you are one with the one, you and this presence, that you're not separate from it, that it is who you are, and you are who it is.
2: And one of the things that you write about in the book, and I love the words that you used, you you say that there are hallelujahs in the hurricanes. And that's actually something that I have come to learn over the the course of the, the past 10 years of my life. 10 years ago, which was at the The root of all of the work that I'm doing now, I went through a really um, horrific loss. And in a period of six months, my 23-year marriage ended, my mother died, my sister died, and my oldest son left for college. And I'd already lost my father and brother. So I, at one point, had this identity, this life, and, and quite literally, overnight, it was gone. I was no longer a wife, a daughter, a sister, the mother, the way I knew it. And I've come to see that there are blessings in every situation. Sometimes you have to look a little harder to find them, but they are always there. And I I just love the words that you used, hallelujahs in the hurricanes, because that is so true
3: and I've lived it. Mm. Um, Thank you, Joan, as you were were sharing about ear loss and. and the transitions that you went through, I was just holding the space and just honoring you um, and honoring those um, those experiences. And indeed, there are hallelujahs in the hurricanes. Thank you for honing in on that particular phrase. Um, the idea is that life is full of changes. And I know that um, having a child of my own, having a daughter, and that as parents, um, there's this idea that we want to protect our children. We want to give them this sense of stability. And I'm thinking it would really behoove us to really teach that life is fluid and it's always flowing. And so what we really want to teach our children and ourselves (laughs) is that we have to be able to to dance with it, that we have to be able to flow with it. And there's certain techniques and tools that one can learn to um, in order to ride the wave, so to speak. And key and per- perhaps the very first um, understanding is to accept that, yes, things are going to change and that this is the natural order of things. Now, this isn't, this isn't to uh, deny the pain or the sorrow. I have such compassion for um, what others are experiencing, especially now in this particular point in time. But um, as you suggested at the top of our conversation, this is also a time for tremendous growth. We are all being cajoled, (laughs) forced really, into being present with what is, to really taking stock of what has come to pass, to take stock of our systems, to take stock of um, how we structure our society, And we are really being called to um, create something new. Mm -hmm. And that might look like in the bigger picture, a new way of looking at the world, a new way of operating the world. And for the individual, it might look like a way of where do I want to live? Do I really want to live here? What do I want to do with my life? What's my purpose? How can I contribute? How can I serve? All of these questions are coming into play In such a dramatic way because it's involving everyone I mean these are questions that I think on any given day in any given year in any given century that individuals have been and will continue to face but now it seems that we're all facing it together because we're all bound up in what has the appearance of devastation and loss and transitions and it's all happening for everyone, you just open up a newspaper, you listen to the news, and, and we are being um, bombarded with with very trying circumstances. But I do believe that now is the time that we, we get to hmm, – the phrase nitty-gritty just came to me. We get to right. get down into it, into the muck and mire, and we get to really decide, who am I? Who am I now? Who do I want to be? And – Yes. How do I want to serve? And I believe that we can't serve unless we put on our own oxygen mask. And so my book, Sacred Landscapes of the Soul, is a bomb. I believe it's a way to take stock, to to um, to dive into the solace, to dive into our emotions, to be present with what is. I don't believe in pretending that things aren't bad or pretending that things aren't challenging um, and to just bypass our real emotions. So this is a way of diving deep into where we are and then transcending where we are. And I believe it's possible to transcend circumstances. We've had examples through the ages of that.
2: Right. And I, and I agree. And, And I think, you know, your book is, it's a wonderful guide because what you were saying What we're all experiencing today, I'm all about outlook and how you view things. And we really are being brought to a point where we can make the decision. And I want to emphasize that we have power here because we're all feeling powerless. We have the power to decide, will I allow this to defeat me and to hold me down? Or will I look for infinite possibilities? Will I stay in faith? Will I find my true self and, and that's where I think our, our power really comes in.
3: Mm, it's absolutely. I completely agree, Joan. The idea is that we get to we get to choose that we aren't powerless. I mean think about it. We have we have everything that we need. We have the intelligence, the radiance, the love, the compassion, the skills. I believe that we are innately divine. And so all of that All of that richness, all of that beauty, all of that joy is possible regardless of what is happening outside of of us in the outer world. And once we cultivate that inner world, we are stronger, we are um, grace-filled, we're even more dynamic, and we can go out and acknowledge what is happening and still create and serve and give and love that we're propelled by this innate inner love and indwelling presence.
2: And Karen, is that what you've always been able to do? So, for example, your daughter is a well-known actress and you managed her and you're part of the Hollywood world. And, you know, to the outside, Hollywood seems to be, you know, a little bit more cutthroat, competitive. It, It has its own characteristics. Do you ever feel a disconnect being a spiritual
3: person in a world that may not always be so kind? I think it's incumbent upon those who have a sense of spirituality and a sense of um, an awareness that, you know, all the glitter and all of the gold is not really what it's all about. I think it's incumbent upon those of us who have even an inkling of this to bring that spirituality to light and to alter the situations and alter what's happening in our government or, you know, in Hollywood. Um, I think believe that's why we are here. I just flashed in a memory of um, my daughter was auditioning for the Hunger Games, and um, I believe it was the second audition. Certainly, it was at the home studio of the director, and um, I sat in his very cozy living room, and I held vigil. I. Closed my eyes and I was in meditation and I was just holding space for her and what was happening, what, what um, outside in her addition and I really had this sense that something powerful was happening. I was very focused and centered on it. So I think that's what um those of us who believe that um, the world is a is fruitful and abundant, and that there's so much that we can do to 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 bring that um, to the attention of others, and therefore shift um, shift the power, shift this idea of what's important. That those of us who have even, you know, just a tiny awareness that that's what we're here, and it doesn't necessarily look like sitting outside of an audition and holding space. It can look like um, you're going to the polls and volunteering. It could mm-hmm. look like voting. It could look like um, praying. You know, It could look like any number of things, as long as you're bringing that sense, that awareness, that deep um, acknowledgement that, yes, I am here. I am here to bring forth my gifts. I am here to share. I'm here to... To be a beneficial presence in the world, and again, it doesn't really matter if you're in Hollywood or in government. I think you know if you're sweeping the floors, you can bring that excellence to that particular task as well
2: and when you know who you are and you're strong from within, it doesn't really matter what's going on around you exactly exactly. um
3: what I find um we talked earlier about my own spiritual journey um And um, what I have found that when you are aware and you have more tools in the tool chest, whether it's meditation or a sense of um, praying or certain readings or reciting affirmations, and my book is full of affirmations and inspiring um, epigraphs from three uh, millennia, um, that you have tools that you can draw upon and that you can apply. And so I find that Perhaps the gap lessens, the gap between seeing what's happening and being disturbed by it perhaps becomes a little less wide because one has these tools. Doesn't, for me, doesn't mean that I'm not impacted by what happens in the outside world at all, that I just am totally oblivious to it. Doesn't mean that at all. It means in some time, at some times that I might just be aware of that, oh, let me go meditate right now. Oh, I'm triggered. <laughs> let me go within. Let me go within and let me read this passage or let me recite this phrase. Oh, yes, there are hallelujahs in the hurricane. Um, and and sometimes it might be that I'm not even moved. So, um, But I do believe we are human beings and we are walking the planet and we are aware of what's going on about us around us and it doesn't mean that we necessarily have um, shut ourselves down from feeling or seeing what's happening but indeed we have the tools to get back to centered. and that when we nurture ourselves with our spiritual practices then the stronger
2: we are karen you you had the opportunity to fulfill one of your bucket list items and and i would assume that checking this item off your list was very good for your soul during the events leading up to President Obama's first inauguration, you sang with the choir that backed up John Legend. Can you tell
3: us about that experience? It was so empowering. Um, leading up to that experience, I remember being—it was so exciting. Um, there was this sense of movement, this sense of change, this sense of um, this sense of, of being able to bring forth this new vision. And so um, I traveled with. Agape's um, choir to Denver and we uh, performed with John Legend and um, different incarnations of the choir performed with Will I Am and we also um, appeared uh, on Oprah's show she broadcast from the Kennedy Center so it was just a flurry of activity and singing and um, really bringing forth this sense of um, purpose and change and dynamism that we could change the country, that we could, um, that we were ushering in something new. So it was, it was so exciting to be there, um, and um, the energy was palpable. The energy. I remember um, being at the stadium, and I was there with um, my family, and the idea that we were part of something bigger than us. That there was the sense that. Um, we could change the world, certainly if the country was changing. so it was exciting, it was dynamic, and singing is such a way to um to bring forth this this um innate indwelling presence I find that it's a way of uniting and coming together um, and so yes, it was a it was a fantastic experience, and I was really glad to be a part of it.
2: The book is Sacred Landscapes of the Soul. If you'd like to get more information about Karen and her work, you can visit karenbrailsford.com. Karen, in our final moments, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? What came to me immediately was that
3: life is good. Life is good. We are here in the body, right here, right now, that we have come for such a time as this. And so it's incumbent for each one of us to find what it is we're going to deliver in this crucial time, right here, right now.
2: Karen, thank you so much for joining us. It has been such a pleasure speaking with you.
3: Thank you so much, Joan. I'm sending you infinite blessings. This is Conversations with
2: Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
4: How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses what foods can do all that primo health solutions will show you using metabolic typing this remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best call them today at 347-903-7030 that's 347-903-7030 or go to primohealthsolutions.com using metabolic typing primo health solutions will let your body work best
1: hi doctor hey freelancer hi there business owner Today's world has so many acronyms. As leaders called upon to speak to our teams, to the public, and to our patients and clients, we must be very careful about the choice of acronyms that we use. If folks don't understand our acronyms like ROI, EBITDA, EMR, CRM, FTCPA, etc., then our messages are missing the target. This is Vito Mazur with Kinum.com, and today I want to share two powerful and positive acronyms, NERUCA and NAOP. In our professional careers, when we are awarded preferred status by a particular person or organization, it's a positive idea to share that with our potential clients. I'm delighted to share a proud moment about Naruka, the Northeast Regional Urgent Care Association, and NAOP. The National Association of Occupational Health Professionals, two outstanding medical organizations. We are thrilled to announce that Kinnam Inc. has just been honored with preferred vendor status by both of these outstanding medical entities. They represent two of the fastest growing segments in medicine. Kinnam will be helping them with cash flow management services. We're very grateful for this recognition and would love to tell you more about it. So call me at 800. 800-
2: Live a happy, productive life. But sometimes we just need a little help. Our coach on call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Allison Carmen, a business consultant, life coach, and author of The Gift of Maybe, offering hope and possibility in uncertain times. Allison's podcast, 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, provides simple tools to reduce daily stress and worry. She's here today to discuss managing uncertainty. Welcome, Allison. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Joan. Allison, everything that comes into our lives, whether it be good or bad, comes from the unknown future. So why do most of us see uncertainty as bad or even stressful? Well,
5: one of the reasons that we think that uncertainty is always bad is because when good things come into our lives, we forget that they were once uncertain. I speak to so many people about uncertainty, and they always have this view that when uncertainty happens, I don't know what's going to happen next in my life. Things aren't working out, but they forget that there was a time before their husband or wife came into their life, their best friend came into their life, a new job or the getting into a great school, we forget because the good things that come into our lives, we get used to them. And then we expect them to be in our lives. And we forget that everything that comes into our lives was once unknown. But when something happens in our life that we don't like, it causes us so much discomfort. And sometimes that discomfort doesn't go away. And so that represents to us uncertainty. And so that's why we think that all the things we don't know will be bad. But the biggest problem is that when we live with this fear of uncertainty, we live in fear. And when we live in fear, we look at the unknown and we kind of turn our backs on all that's possible in our lives because we think that if we risk getting a new job, we risk starting a new business, we risk going out with someone new because it has the unknown in it, we think that it can't possibly work out and then we lose our courage to move forward with our lives. We lose our courage to make better decisions, to expand everything that's important to us, all the things that we love to do. So the most important thing that we can do in our lives is to establish a stronger relationship with uncertainty and realize that, yes, uncertainty could bring difficult moments, but it also could bring beautiful moments and joys and successes. And if we could see uncertainty differently, we're more likely to take chances in our lives.
2: You know, Allison, something that you just said, all the things we don't know we assume will be bad and like you said if we can learn how to make that shift and and to remember that a lot of the things that are wonderful were once unknown, that that would really help us to eliminate that fear that you talked about. In addition to that, what are some ways that we can learn to view uncertainty with less stress so that we can use it to our
6: advantage?
5: Well, because this is such a bad habit that many of us have, seeing uncertainty as bad, it is really great when you're feeling stressed and you're feeling worried to remind yourself of the joys that uncertainty brings. And, and a lot of people that I work with, they actually get a journal and they write about all the blessings in their lives like i said whether it be someone you met whether it be a new business or something your child achieved write about it and then remember a time when these things were not in your life and then you could actually see wow i didn't know this was going to come into my life and look it was unexpected but it was a blessing and it was something huge and something beautiful and when we start to see this we prove to ourselves That uncertainty, yes, it could have bad things that we don't like, but it also could have good things too. And when you start to live like this and you start to journal, of course, you also start to embrace more gratitude. And the more grateful you are in your life, the more joy you'll have in your life, the more openings that you'll have in your life. There's also another thing too, is that it's not just that uncertainty brings good things too. our relationship with uncertainty also shifts when we also recognize that We've had suffering in our lives, and we've survived it. We've survived the pain. For some reason, when we think about the unknown, we think about it like we're not going to be able to live through something if it happens that we don't like or that creates something we didn't expect. We can get through it. And so when we journal and we see that we've had Good things come into our lives and when we remember the things that we've survived, we start to build more foundation to face the unknown and recognize that the best thing in our lives we could do is to forge ahead, create good intentions, pursue our dreams and know no matter what, we will figure it out. And again, I know I always talk about this idea of maybe, but when things happen that we don't like, we do have this idea of maybe that maybe what's ever happening will get better. Maybe we could accept it and still be okay. And maybe there's something very important for us to feel or experience in this moment. So matter whatever is happening in life, if you have breath, you have hope, and you have maybe. And uncertainty is where all the goodies lie, and it's where your life's going to change, and it's where all the things you want in your life is going to happen. But you have to find a way to deal with uncertainty and lessen the fear so you can open up to everything that you truly want in your life.
2: Allison, thank you so much for joining us. If our listeners would like to learn more about Allison, or if you'd like to listen to her podcast, 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, you can visit her website, allisoncarman.com. And as always, to hear more from Allison, you can visit our website, cyacylcom Allison. We'll be right back.
0: This is WNY, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City.
2: to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Do you feel torn between staying informed and staying sane? According to my next guest, Philip Goldberg, when the world gets chaotic, we need a spiritual practice more than ever. That's when we need to recharge and ground ourselves to take on the challenge. Philip has been studying the world's spiritual traditions for more than 45 years. He's the author or co-author of some 45 books published in more than a dozen languages. He blogs on spirituality and health, and co-host the Spirit Matters Podcast. Welcome, Philip. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Great to be with you, Joan.
2: So, Philip, sometimes it feels like the world has gone mad, especially today, with so much fear and worry and uncertainty. All of that can hijack our thoughts, and, and it really can overtake our emotions. So, with everything that we're experiencing today, how can we stay spiritually sane and stay healthy and productive and and, and really in the right space?
0: Well, to be honest, I uh, I struggle with the same issues every day these days. Um, I wrote Spiritual Practice for Crazy Times a year ago when I thought things were as crazy as they were going to get, but then Mm -hmm. the pandemic hit. And um, so suddenly everybody's complimenting me on my great timing. Um, There's within us... Within all of us, by, our, by virtue of our own inner nature, uh, we have a, a sanctuary of sorts, a, a place of perfect peace within us that we don't typically access. And that's what the practices that have come to us from uh, the world's spiritual traditions, practices like meditation and mindfulness and yoga, and for people who are believers, uh, prayer. Uh, so depending on a person's orientation, even a secular one, these these practices have been well documented and uh, scientifically studied. We know they work, and they give us access to this uh, core of inner peace that's within us. Um, to, to take refuge in, in these uh, crazy times and then come out and uh, be refreshed and rejuvenated so we could take on our responsibilities and, you know, retain some of that inner peace.
2: So the goal then is to get out of our head, to, to stop thinking and to go within and just kind of let ourselves be?
0: I would uh, modify that by saying – um, the practices that I recommend in the book uh, don't require that we stop thinking. That's that's a hard thing to do, and anybody who tries to do that is just going to get frustrated because uh, the mind is always thinking. But it can get quieter, and it can settle down and be relatively silent in, if through the use of these practices. And then um, these the inner quiet is a result it's not something you have to do first the uh, people have a misconception that uh, practices like meditation you have to have some you know super normal skill of quieting the mind no no it's a technique these are practices and the mind is always going to be somewhat active because that's what it does so um it's these practices are easier uh, to do than people realize. And there's no particular talent or skill involved, which means anybody can do them. That very natural. I chose practices in the book that are easy to engage and have a proven track record.
2: And when I was talking about getting out of our, our head and, and to stop the thinking, what I was really meaning to say was to stop that fear adrenaline cycle, to stop feeding the anger to stop feeding all of the negativity.
0: Yeah, and and that too, you know. That there's some things we can do intentionally mm-hmm. to sort of reverse those thoughts, to um, switch. The content of our minds from these toxic, destructive thoughts to uh, more benign and beneficial thoughts that are more constructive. I have a whole chapter on that. But, and the other aspect of that is some of it is the result of the spiritual practices. So, I mean, this is something people can recognize in their daily lives. If you're in a bad mood, if you're worried or angry or something like that and then some child comes along and does something delightful your mood changes your the content of your thoughts suddenly changes you decide to go exercise or take a nice walk in in the park or something your mood shifts so so by doing certain things the content and um, agitation uh, level of the mind Will change by itself. And so that's what uh, the result of some of these practices can be.
2: Well, and you know, and I will jump on the bandwagon with the timing because I don't think I've ever seen people so angry. On whichever side you fall, everyone is just angry and stressed out and wound so tightly that you know it's going to wreak havoc on their physical health at some point.
0: Oh, it is. There's no question about it. I mean, the, the crazy irony of this is we're in the middle of a pandemic, and um, the conditions of the political environment are making people even more susceptible to disease because of the stress level. And and you're absolutely right. And the isolation, which is, you know, another element of stress. People don't have the usual social outlets. Um, So it is a a dangerous time. And and the book is timely, inadvertently. (laughs) Yeah, but you know what, Philip? there are no
2: coincidences. Things happen when they're supposed to happen. And it's needed now.
0: Yes. And, you know, and when I wrote it, uh, we anticipated things were going to be Uh, Wild and crazy because of the just the election. You know, no one anticipated the pandemic or wildfires in California and, you know, the West Coast. But um, it's even more timely than we anticipated. And for reasons I wish weren't true. So For
2: someone who's listening to us right now, who is feeling all of the things that you describe, is there an immediate intervention that you can leave them with? Something tangible that they can do right now to make themselves feel better?
0: I have a whole chapter on immediate interventions. I mean, a big part of the book is uh, instructions on how to create regular spiritual practices as a routine of your life. But then there's these moments when you need to intervene and cease the agitation and the fear and whatever is coming up and settle into a more stable and comfortable uh, inner state. And so so I have breathing instructions that I drew from both the yoga tradition and the uh, research that modern scientists have done on breath and its effect on the nervous system. So taking a very a deep breath and holding it and exhaling uh, and exhaling a little forcefully and breathing in when you breathe in to extend the abdomen out uh, like you're puffing up a balloon with your belly, uh, uh, your belly as a balloon brings more oxygen into the lung and extending and uh, exhaling, extending the exhale longer than usual triggers a response in the nervous system that's more immediately calming. So those are two variations on the take a deep breath advice that are surprisingly effective just in the moment. And here, Here's another one that's really pretty remarkable. Smile. There's fascinating research that if you just smile for no reason, you, you don't have to be smiling but it's as if someone were taking a picture of you and you had to smile you just putting your lips in the shape of a smile does something in the brain and I your listeners can do it as as they're listening just smile see what happens it shifts the mind in a certain way that's fascinating those are two of many possibilities
2: Well, and I think there's an old saying that says you can't be angry when you're smiling. So I was actually trying it as you were speaking, and there was a calm that came over, kind of like a a goose bumpy kind of calm. So it does work. And these are easy, you know, these are easy things that people can do, and they can be done anywhere and anytime.
0: I, I give guidelines in the book for creating a sort of inventory of such practices, things you can do in just a matter of seconds, things you could do if you have three minutes, if you have five, if you have an hour, uh, so that you can draw on them as needed.
2: If you'd like to learn more about this topic, if you'd like to learn more about Philip and his work, you can visit philipgoldberg.com. And once again, the book is Spiritual Practice for Crazy Times. Philip, what's a takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with?
0: I'll repeat what I said earlier. We all have within us a sanctuary of silence and peace, and uh, there are practices that can give you access to that. And that that sanctuary is also a fortress of strength. Spiritual practices are not intended to make you escape from the world or be indifferent to the circumstances of life. They can strengthen you make your uh, activities in the world more uh, effective so you're coming from a a stronger inner place. You can retain your calm in the midst of a crisis and you can make better decisions, uh, do wiser and uh, more compassionate things for others. Um, This is not a form of escapism. Philip,
2: well, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure speaking with you.
0: Pleasure to speak with you too, Joan.
2: This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
6: Hi, I'm Gail Gruenberg, CPOCD, Chief Executive Organizer of Let's Get Organized. As a professional organizing firm that specializes in serving clients who are chronically disorganized, we help people organize their lives as well as their homes. Many of our clients say, I have nowhere to put my stuff. I say, look a little closer. There may be some places hiding in plain sight. Here are a few underutilized areas where you can creatively store things. Go vertical, maximize your space by hanging as much as you can. Use hooks and shelves on walls to create more storage. Put a freestanding cabinet or shelf unit over the toilet in the bathroom. Use the insides of closet and cabinet doors. Mesh shoe pockets, over door racks and hooks turn overlooked areas into prime real estate. Space under stairs can be configured in myriad ways to create a closet of shelves or pullouts that can hold out of season clothes, store shoes, or act as a pantry. I'm Gail Gruenberg, and I can help bridge the gap between wanting to get organized and actually doing it. For more organizing ideas that fit your life, call me at 201-364-6833 or visit my website at lgorganized.com.
7: When you're having a conversation in relationship and it's somewhat controversial, you probably want to be heard and be right. Quite often, that's what we want. And so we're maybe a little defensive. But is that right? Or do we want a result? the result being we'd like to get along. Hi, I'm Lindsay Levinson, Quality for Life Coaching. And they are two different things, getting along versus being heard and being right. See, because being heard and right is our defense. Then that connects to our ego. But ego's not really going to get you that far. If you want a result, then you're going to want to work with humility and truth. So, if you've got a difference of opinion, I mean, for me, I'll quickly look for a reason to say I'm sorry. And it has to be true. If I don't know what I've done yet, then I will say I'm sorry you're hurting. I've done something wrong here because you're hurting, but let's talk further so we can figure this out. And you don't want to talk at someone by saying you this and you that, because people just shut their ears. You want to use words like we and use words like experience. I'm having this experience. I know your experience is different. There isn't a right or wrong. There's just different experiences going on here. So we just need to talk it through and land somewhere that feels really good for both of us. So you want to do a lot of that non-heated conversation so that you can both feel good but nobody is charging at another person it's not being heard and right it's just working toward the positive result Lindsay levinson quality for lifecoaching.com look me up i'd love to talk to you help you in any way i might be able to
2: hi this is joan herman did you know that change your attitude change your life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit cyacyl.com, and be sure to tell your friends. It's time for To Your Health. Joining me today is Mark Anthony, the founder of Prospect Fitness located in Brooklyn, New York. Mark is also the Vice President of Operations for Diet Typing Systems, an online personalized diet therapy system. He's here today to discuss the importance of core strength. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for joining us.
4: Hi, Joan. Thanks for having me on today.
2: So, Mark, we hear so much about the importance of strengthening the core. Where is our core located?
4: Our core is actually a pretty large system of our body. Most people think that it is just about the six inches around our belly buttons. But it is actually from our knees all the way up to our shoulders, both in the front and the back. So you can see that it's a pretty big system and a pretty large part of our body.
2: So what's the primary function of the core?
4: The primary function of the core is really to provide a stable platform for which the arms and legs to move from. It also really helps to prevent uh, anti-rotation and prevent force when being applied, especially in heavier, vigorous activities.
2: So from your experience, what are common problems that you see people presenting regarding their core?
4: A lot of people really have core stability issues Um, in exercises. I often see their hips shift to the left or the right when we place them on the ground and especially in three-point stance. And without the ability to have that bracing and provide for stabilization, a lot of the arm and leg strength loses power.
2: So many of us, whenever we think of strengthening the core, we think of sit-ups. We think that's the only way to get this job done, but you're not really fond of sit-ups. Why?
4: I'm not really fond of sit-ups because that's not the way that the core functions in the regular part of everyday life. Probably the only time that we really do something that mimics a sit-up throughout the day is when we get out of bed. But the core is used every day in life, especially when we're walking, we're jogging, we're exercising. And that's really when the core comes into, into play, especially if we're trying to lift our heavier things. That's really when core strength and core stability is going to protect you and keep you safe throughout the day.
2: Mark, many people want a flat belly. What's the best way to achieve this?
4: The best way to achieve this is still the, going back to doing full body strength, concentrating, roughly trying to get into a workout routine, trying to take cardio about 30 to 45 minutes per day, about five days a week, with two days of full body strength training on top of that. Full body strength training will, will strengthen the whole body the way that it's supposed to be.
2: Mark, thank you so much. For being here with us today. Where can our listeners go to get more information about you and your work?
4: As always, you can visit our website, prospectfitness.com.
2: Again, that's prospectfitness.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thank you so much. It was my pleasure.
2: Recently, I was flipping through a toy catalog, shopping for a gift for a French child, when I stumbled upon an item that had brought hours of enjoyment to my children. It's a square box that has different shapes cut out into each side with matching pieces. The goal of the toy is for children to fit each piece into its corresponding hole, thus learning to recognize shapes and how to fit like things together. My boy spent hours placing the various shapes into their respective holes. Most times, the pieces fit together with ease, but on occasion, they would work tirelessly trying to make the wrong piece fit into the wrong hole. An oval in a circle, a square and a triangle, a rectangle in a square. As I reminisced about them sitting on the floor working at this task, I began to think about how this activity mimics what we do throughout our life, work to make the pieces fit. Hi, this is Joan Herman, here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Sometimes our choices fit perfectly, but other times, no matter how much energy we expend, they just don't fit. How many times have you been in a friendship or romance that didn't work out? In most situations when the breakup occurred, anger, heartbreak and disappointment soon followed, then blame. Someone must be at fault. Someone was wrong. You tried so hard, so why couldn't it survive? Instead of being consumed with anger and resentment, did you ever stop and think that maybe, just maybe, it was simply a wrong fit, and that no one is to blame? Like the pieces in the toy, each of us has an individual design derived from life experiences. We are each as unique as a circle, square, triangle, or octagon. When we make the right match, everything fits perfectly. But when we have the wrong pieces, it doesn't work, no matter how hard we push or on what angle. It would be ridiculous to say something is wrong with the circle because it didn't fit in the square. We recognize the shapes as being different, so why do we make those claims about people? Why do we assign blame to a person and then spend the rest of our life being angry and resentful thinking about what could have been? Perhaps a new perspective would be to view each of us as the pieces of the toy, unique with our own characteristics, perfect in our design, but not always a fit, no matter how hard we try to squeeze it together and how much we want it. Perhaps looking at life experiences in this way may make it easier to let go and stop assigning blame. It may enable us to forgive and move forward. So the next time you experience the loss of a valued relationship, rather than being consumed with anger and bitterness, just release it. Try to view yourself and the other person as shapes, different from each other, but with their own purpose, beauty, and value. Perfect in their individuality, but they just don't fit. Thanks for spending these minutes with me. For more information and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com.